Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Delivered by DoorDash. Welcome to episode 74 of the DFO Rundown. I'm Jason Greger along with Frank Saravalli coming to you live from the woodjerseys.com studio and uh, fitting that I have my uh, Seattle Kraken wood jersey where uh, Frank was just over the weekend and Frank has the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs jersey which was uh, thrown on the ice. Not that one. But, Easy. Uh, Which, by the way, um, that that's been done. I I don't know if if you th- throw in a jersey on the ice when your team's made the playoffs four years in a row and it's six yeah. I could games see in like twenty thirteen or fifteen, yeah, maybe. Sure. Yeah, it's a little. If pre- you're throwing your jersey on the ice, don't go to the game. Like yeah. if you're that angry and it's and one game in the first five games of the regular season does it for you, do us all a favor and don't buy tickets. Yeah, like that's that's a little excessive. Now, we'll get into the Leafs and the, and the concerns about that team, no question. But uh, let's recap Seattle, Frank. You were there. Uh, I saw the game on TV. The building looks fantastic. It's it's deep into the ground uh, where you can see at the the one end of the rink, it's a uh, street level and then everything just goes down, which is uh, which is pretty cool. What uh, what did you make of the facility? <laughs> well, one thing I didn't see was the sun all weekend in Seattle. Uh, it was a pretty typical Seattle uh, rainy weekend from that perspective, but um, all kidding aside, it was a phenomenal experience. Like that place, that arena is the most unique I've ever seen. Um, it's beautiful. Every, the attention to detail is phenomenal. Um, you know, I did a quick mini tour on my Instagram story, uh, over the weekend and it just, the concourse is so cool. The, the 80,000 living plants, all the led screens. Like when you walk in, almost everyone comes in through one giant entrance and atrium. And you know, it's like these led panels that are all around you, ceiling pillars, everything. You feel like you're actually walking into the ocean uh, and to, to play off the Kraken motif. And so if they add an NBA team there, when it's a WNBA night, you're going to get an entirely different feel. And then these sort of twin jumbotrons, they call them the twins, um, which is awesome. Uh, you know, it's just different. Everything about it is different. The windows, as you mentioned, the glass on the one end where that's at street level. Can you imagine like fans, that uh, even if you've lived in Seattle a long time and you knew about the glass, you weren't sure what this arena was going to look like. They didn't really know ahead of time to go there and stand there. Can you imagine what that scene is going to be like for a Kraken playoff game? Everyone filling that uh, square outside the arena, get a chance to look in, see and hear and feel the environment. Don't have to pay for a ticket. Um, it's, it's just so well done. And their practice facility, nicest I've ever seen. Um, it, everything is top notch. And what's cool about it is that it feels uniquely Seattle. Now with, let's say it is a sunny day 
and it's an afternoon game. Will the will the sun come in off that window and affect the ice? So they actually have these. So during the morning skate, they have these electronic retractable shades okay. that like someone hits a button and it slides up and it covers the window so that there's yeah. no glare and it doesn't affect the ice or the temperature in the building. And what's really cool about that is so we got a scale. Remember I was saying on the pod on Friday that I was so excited to see their game presentation because they stole the two leading minds from Vegas. Well, they actually had a really scaled down version. There was nothing really exciting in their pregame. Um, and part of that's because they just took the arena over like uh, Jay, I'm not kidding you. The, the first second that the Kraken stepped on the ice on Saturday morning. That was their first time ever skating in the arena. They had just gotten a tour a couple days before there were workers everywhere, finishing last minute punch list items. I'm sure they're going to be doing that for the next month just to get this place open. They had two concerts there. It was so ambitious. Like the building opens for the first time on Wednesday, Foo Fighters concert, Friday night, Coldplay concert, Saturday night hockey game to get it turned around for a Saturday morning skate was the, the heavy lifting that took place in order for that to happen was incredible, but it, it just goes to speak to the fact that the Kraken didn't really have a chance to do what they wanted to do yet. So I'm told pregame wise, they're going to ramp that up. They're hoping to have that in place by mid to late November. And I'm told that one of the things that they're going to do is roll those shades up at least for the pregame, and they're going to reflect stuff off of there. And then there's also going to be some like physical rigging components that go to it, whether it's a, uh, an octopus cracking arm sort of coming out of the ice and you can see it move like in, in real life. Um, there's all sorts of really cool things that they're doing with it that are going to be awesome. They're just not there yet because they haven't even had a chance to get into the building and make it happen. And uh, the Kraken are off to kind of a, a usual expansion start. They're they're one four and one. Um, you know, it's funny. Vegas is the only team in the Pacific below them, and we'll get into the uh, the struggles of of the Golden Knights uh, in a second. But you know, Seattle's kind of for me anyway. Who I thought they would be. They'll, they'll be competitive, but you know, Grubauer's numbers like def- they haven't. A lot of people thought the defense would be their strength, and early on, it hasn't been. Yeah, he, I mean, Grubauer needed to be better on Saturday night, um, especially in that third period. You have a lead. He just didn't give them the saves that they needed, a couple five-hole goals. Um, I'd say this about Seattle. Like, the thing about the Kraken is that they they don't have anyone that scares you. Like, you play against Vancouver, and you need to game plan against Pedersen and Hughes. You play against L.A., and it's Kopitar. Um, you know, any pick anyone in their division, they've got someone that's going to sting you if you, you give them an opportunity. And I think that's kind of the one thing about the Kraken is like, they don't have that player or that threat and those guys aren't easy to get. And kind of by the nature of the expansion draft, no one was going to give you one of those guys. Vegas happened to find guys. We've talked about this that had like 12 guys having career years that they'll never duplicate. Um, And then so far, many of them haven't. So that's sort of kind of what's ailing Seattle. And it's, they're not going to be easy to get. So it's probably going to be on the free agent front, but I was actually catching up with our old pal, Jordan Eberle. Um, You know, I I had a chance to talk to him at the practice facility and, and what he was saying was he he's loved every second of his experience in Seattle. So far, hard not to unique city. He said, what he thinks is going to happen is, 
all the people and all the teams that come through there are going to see how amazing everything is. And he, he added in parentheses to, Oh, by the way, no state income tax. He's like, this is going to be a market that players want to play in. So it's going to be on the free agent front. Maybe you can take advantage of a cap strap team on the trade front, uh, any team that runs into issues, but they're, they're missing that, that game breaker that, that would give them an edge. Yeah. I'm I'm still not a big believer that free agency is where you build your your most success because uh, usually you got to overpay and you know yeah there, but there's there's some exceptions I mean like look at the Rangers and Panera and like that guy's been worth every dollar so far yeah no he's, I mean it it does happen it's it's it happens, a rare but, guy but they're gonna be one of those teams uniquely positioned with their cap space most likely and and not very many long term commitments that when a guy does pop onto the market that you can take advantage. Yeah, if you can get a top 10 player, sure. Uh, those guys are kind of rare to come in the market. But I would agree with you that Seattle will be, you know, they're they're playing the long game. I, I don't think their goal, like obviously their goal was to be competitive, but I don't, I don't think they were planning on replicating the uh, first season success of uh, Vegas. But uh, hey, it's early on and they are ahead of their uh, their recent expansion brother. The, the Vegas Golden Knights are one and four. Yeah. They've got 10 goals in five games. And well, they their lack of offense due to Tuck being out, Pacioretty and Stone is apparent. It's and I know them. that that organization is very competitive from the owner right on down. I wonder how patient they'll be, Frank, because there's no, like when I, it's not like they're getting unlucky bounces and, and they can't score. They have 10 goals in five games. It's difficult. I mean, any team that you take those three, you know, upper echelon players out of the mix, it's going to hurt. So yep. they have other guys that should be doing more. I mean, what happened to Smith, Marcia? So, uh, they, they paid pretty decent money to Donoff or, or when they acquired him in the trade, he's got a pretty decent cap hit. You mentioned Carlson, like they have a better supporting cast than a lot of teams around the league. Like, you know, if you take a team like Toronto, for instance, and we'll get to the Leafs in a second, but the big thing that sticks out to me about Toronto is when their big three aren't scoring, they have nothing else. See, the Vegas, excuse me, they, they don't have the same excuse. Where are those guys? Um, so that's the big thing for Vegas is like, they got to get going. Um, I just, you know, the, the stone injury is, is pretty concerning to me. Um, oh, for sure. Cause he's the emotional leader of that team. It's not even just the emotion part of it. I don't know how they've been pretty coy about his injury. I kind of see this being a long-term issue. And even if he comes back playing, it's going to require a lot of nursing. This is a back injury that um, it's, it's not going to be easy to, to sidestep or dance around. I mean, you see, we talked about the back injuries before you already see Nick Felino on the shelf. Yeah. He's already out for Boston. I said it before the season started, you watched him in all or nothing. The fact that he basically crumpled in the hallway and needed someone to carry him to the dressing room. That's that was Mark Stone like ten days ago. Yeah, they, that is no bueno. Like that is not good at all. He needs to. I don't know what the issue. You know whether it's surgery or whatever happens there. But that if that doesn't go away, that's deeply concerning for the Golden Knights. 
No, oh, 100%. And then you throw in the, the freak Alex Martinez uh, when he went crashing into the boards. And, uh, you know, there's a top four defense when it just it, uh, it weakens a team already. And, you know, you look at it early on. A lot of people had Edmonton and Vegas battling for the division title. Well, Edmonton threw What an opportunity. Games, they're eight points up. They're eight yeah. points up. So it's I, a, I saw Dom decision from the athletic had tweeted over the weekend after the Oilers went on Friday night that their chances to win the division went from like 59 to 64%. I was like, part of me wanted to be like, Dom, slow your roll. It's six games, five games in for the Oilers. But I mean, facts are facts. Eight points up. Like it, you're going to need a, it's hard to make up ground in the NHL. Oh, hundred percent. You know, some people pick the orders to win the division at the start of the year. So yeah, 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 settle, yeah uh, settle down, settle down. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Florida Panthers, by the way, they look good, like really yeah. good. And I, I will say this, most people, I, I don't think anybody thought Bobrovsky would be this good through four I hate games. when I agree with you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, all kidding aside, like uh, we were going to talk later about our, uh, our Calder picks, I mean, Spencer Knight, one game. Like, there's been no reason to go to Knight. Um, Bobrovsky, I definitely wasn't expecting it. I thought this guy, based on the way last year played out, I was like, how are they going to find a way to get out of this albatross of a contract? And it's still no good. Like, there's no question that it's it's going to be something that severely hampers what Florida wants to do. And there's maybe four guys you could trade for Bobrovsky three. Like it's, it's not a very long list. It's like Jeff Skinner, uh, Matt Duchesne, like probably not even a Vander Kane at this point. Like other than that, who else are you trading that contract to? Um, so I wasn't expecting to, to have him play this well, but I also think, you know, part of it is we, we debate this all the time, chicken and the egg, when we talked about Carter Hart and his failures last year, how much was that Carter Hart? How much was that the team in front of him? Obviously Florida was pretty good last year, but they've been so stout this year that it's also boosting Bobrovsky a bit as well, or is Bobrovsky boosting Florida? Yeah. Well, uh, either way, they've got depth all over the place that, you know, Lundell just gives them another scoring option, but man, Sam Bennett, like Calgary fans are wondering why, why wasn't Sam Bennett like this in Calgary and it's opportunity. Sometimes it's just a, a clean slate for players, but the minute he stepped onto the ice as a Florida Panther, he has been, he's been exceptional for them. And, and, he, and the thing is for Florida, they're undefeated Frank and their power play has been garbage. 13.9%. Like their power play will get better Scary. with Huberdo and Barkoff. Like you watch for Florida, like they're, they're a team that's not winning just because, you know, they're, they're dynamite in one area. They've been very right. good and their power play, which if you look at most of the other teams, the top teams that are all winning, all have really good power plays. And Florida is the exception, which to me shows they're only going to get better likely once their power play wakes up. Yeah. I was going to say, undefeated obviously is not sustainable. They're going to hit a bump at some sure. point, but the success that they're having, I think is highly sustainable for this group. Um, and, and we'll get to the Leafs in a second, but why isn't more attention being paid to the Colorado avalanche and their tough start? Yeah. Two and three. I mean, and it, you know, I get that they've lost to some good teams along the way. Some teams that have had some hot starts, the blues, the Panthers, um, you know, What's going on in Colorado? There are a couple six spots left and right here. 
Yeah, well, I'm get in Florida. I think there's not the nervousness yet because Landis Gog was out for a few games. McKinnon was out for a game, so they've got a little bit of hey, some of our best guys haven't been there. Their big line showed up uh, in their last game. They all scored, and and surprisingly, they win. Yeah, I, Colorado will turn it around. I, I don't have much concern about that team a little bit. Whereas uh, you know Toronto's now. I went back and I you, you watched the Pittsburgh game that they lost seven one. Frank, mm-hmm. the Penguins' first four goals, none of them went in off a of Penguins stick one hit o'connor in the chest three went in off of a toronto player so you could say unlucky for sure that, but that was saturday night part of that yeah. was unlucky yeah yeah part jack of it campbell sure. came into the game with a 953 save percentage in four games jack campbell not the issue yeah no i don't blame him at all hey, they're 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 40 million dollar forwards right now are not producing bingo and that's it i i touched on it a little bit earlier when you've got Mitch Marner, John Tavares, and Austin Matthews, and and little asterisk on Matthews because he's only played three games. But when you have those three guys, the big three, I'm going to separate William Nylander because he's been their best player by a country mile. Him and Jason Spezza are the only two guys showing up, which is is scary on the Leafs front when Spezza is one of your best players. Um, But those three guys combining for one goal to start the season, like – I mean, don't like Mitch Marner has been basically uh, on a milk carton where, like, where is he? What's going on here? And, and that's, that's the thing that hits on the Leafs is like when they don't have their three guys, they don't, they, they don't have a bottom six that can pick you up. And, you know, that's the difference when you look at them or another team that, that has some sustainable effort or energy from their bottom six, a team like Boston, for instance, you know, they rely heavily on their, their, their big guns to score, but when they don't, they get the odd contribution here and there from someone else at the bottom of their lineup, the Leafs, they don't get it. They're not, they don't have that. They don't have much else to hang their hats on. Part of it is because of their salary cap structure. They just don't have the same depth, but like Nick Ritchie, like my God, like what, I mean, it's a tough, already a tough signing. Um, and again, six games, the usual caveats, grain of salt, blah, blah, blah. But if you want to talk about a team that needs to win around in the playoffs, you can't do that if you don't get in. Oh, 100%. I, I will say this. like I, I'm a little surprised that um, like Nick Ritchie, what did he sign? Like $2.5 two million. Times dollars, 2.5. Right. Like, sure, you'd like a little production from him, but I find to me it's, it's white noise rip like he's playing with Marner and Matthews and people are like, well, Nick Ritchie's not scoring. I'm like, yeah, he's I'm, making 2.5 yeah, mil. He's like, not there. He's not the, it's, it's squarely on the big three at like full stop period. End of sentence. Yeah. Well, and I'll say this, Frank, like I, now I don't blame the GM for what the narrative has been over the years, but it was pretty tiresome for me to constantly read how, well, Dubas is doing everything better than everybody else. And I'm like, what? No, he isn't. Like when they signed John Tavares, I said it at the time, that was a signing that was unnecessary. Pay him huge dollars in free agency. When you had offense, Toronto's problem was never offense. It was never offense. And, And his contract led to them having to pay Marner more than he is because you look at wingers who don't score goals and Mitch Marner is a very skilled player, but doesn't score goals. Well, Patrick Kane's a winger, but he scores a lot of goals and he gets 10 million. Ovechkin's a winger. He scores a boatload of goals. He gets, you know, even a guy like Patrick Liney scores goals. If you're a winger who doesn't score goals, 
your value just isn't that important. It's not the same as guys who are playmaking wingers. And to me, that's the, the whole building structure of the Leafs. For, for years, I never understood all of the accolades that were heaped on because I felt from day one, this team wasn't built to be successful long term. And now they're going to now what are they going to do with their best defenseman? How can they afford him? I mean, think about what, it, how different the Leafs would look to your point with like three, $4 million players instead of Tavares. And I'm just using another million example from like the dead cap space on Phil Kessel's deal. They had to do something to get rid of it, but to, to spend 12 million more wisely or three, three and a half million dollar play, like they would have been so much better off in that case. I think depth wise provided that they picked the right guys. Um, yeah. I mean, the Tavares contract hurts. I think, so I think there's three options here, the way I see it for Toronto. One is the easy one, which everyone points to. And in this case, I think it doesn't apply at all, which is fire the coach. Sheldon Keefe just got a, an extension. Yeah. It, it's not his fault that those three guys aren't scoring. So yeah. let's cross that one off. Two is to make an enormous trade to shake, you know, shake up the group to wake up your locker room and take control and send a clear message to these guys that, you know, this needs to be better. What you're doing isn't good enough. This country club atmosphere can't continue. A lot of people would circle Mitch Marner as the guy to trade partly for the reasons you mentioned, partly because he has value, you know, partly because, you know, he'd send a pretty clear message. I think the other guy you'd have to look at is Morgan Riley. They're probably not re-signing him. My guess is with all the money that's been shelled out to defensemen, the Leafs can't afford to sign him. And I don't know that he's a, he's, is he a one in this league anyway? Like if, if there, if the old Mike Babcock expression that there's only 16 or 17 number one defensemen in the league, is Riley a one? I, I don't, he's close. I mean, yeah. he, he might he's be a very, he's an excellent number two. And, uh, you know, he might just come in like, he's a number one if we're going 32, but I see what you're saying. Well, like legit number ones, that's a fair assessment. So I think you have to ask the question then, or should you be paying him eight and a half or $9 million, whatever the number ends up being probably not. And probably not for the term that he'd be looking for. Cause this is going to probably be his last big deal. So, do you move him and, and do you do it, you know, depending on where you are at the trade deadline, do you do it then? Do you at least try and recoup some assets for a guy that is probably walking? They, they haven't done it in the past. You know, it was Zach Hyman. Let's keep him and see how far we go. It was Freddie Anderson. Let's keep him and see as far. I, I get that because they were in contender mode and they, they still are. But does that make the most sense moving forward? I don't, it's, these are all questions to ask. And if, if you are going to make a move six games in, well, then they, he, those are the two guys I think you'd have to talk about. And then the third option would be triple down. They doubled down on this roster, running it back already this season, not making a major change to the core. They change out a goalie you know, some periphery, you know, around the edges moves with some of the signings that they made, but they largely kept the core intact and they were, they're running it back this year, doubling down, you know, you shrug and you say six games, we just got Matthews back. He'll start producing everyone, you know, rising tide lifts all boats. 
and we're going to stick with the group that we have and we believe in. Those are the three. I think those are the three options. Yeah, I, I'd be surprised if a major trade happened. Uh, historically, we don't see a lot in October. And Me too. You know, when, you, when you trade away some of your best skill players, that's obviously it's hard to win those type of trades either. But it'd you're be right. odd if they weren't at least thinking about it, though. Yeah, no, it could maybe be not fair. even having the conversation. But I think at this point, you'd have to be thinking about it because they're not in a cupcake division. They're not playing in the Pacific. No. You, you can't afford to be dinking around in, in mid-January for a group where there's Stanley Cup aspirations as to whether they can get in the playoffs or not. Well, right now, though, they're happy they're in the Atlantic, not the Metro. Have you seen the Metro division, Frank? Philadelphia is is in the standings in last place. They got a 625 points percentage. The New York Islanders have the lowest points percentage. Bananas. It's 583. Like, that's the division of, like, that's the killer division right now. The The Rangers are playing unreal. I want to talk about the Rangers because now I think we both picked them to make the playoffs at the start, Frank. I think, honestly, we might have underrated not. them. And um, to me, I forgot about the Gerard Gallant effect because wherever that guy goes to coach, his team has success. And, man, the Rangers are playing great. Yeah, four one and one. I mean, they've gotten the production. It's been pretty balanced. Um, Chris Kreider has been awesome to start the year, um, and they've they've had some better stretches. From you know, we were talking about some of their young guys taking the dump, the jump this year, and you know, there was a lot of attention on like Capo Caco being a breakout guy, and you know, I, I think. Hurt. Yeah, uh, but Alexi Lafreniere, like no one was ta- like no one's talking about him. You know, he had the toughest rookie season any one number one pick has had in a long time. He had the toughest number one overall experience ever. Drafted on your couch in your living room during a pandemic on Zoom, like what yeah. fun is that? Um, you know, dealing with a pandemic to play your first, like you you skate out into an empty Madison Square Garden. Yeah. Your first ever game. Like, wh- how do, how are you supposed to, how, what's the juice like in that situation? You never get a chance to play a game at home. He scores in his first game at the bell center. Um, you know, family and friends, there, amazing atmosphere. Why can't he be a 25 goal guy this year? 20 guy goal, 20 goal guy. I, I, I could see it. Um, oh, yeah. To take that step. So those are all pretty significant developments for the Rangers and, and pretty exciting. Yeah, no, the Rangers, you know, they look good. Obviously, you got Carolina, who, who's Shesterkin still undefeated. too, 9.53 to start. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's surprising when you look at some of the top teams. Uh, their, their save percentage, no surprise, Frank, is uh, is right up there. And, um, you know, that division, Washington's playing very well. Carolina's playing well. And I do want to touch on the Pittsburgh Penguins because I don't – well, there's no franchise in the league – that plays better without their star players and the Pittsburgh Penguins. Like it's not even close. Like they've got 14 guys through five games who have a goal and Crosby and Malkin aren't even playing. Right. Chris yeah. Letang was out with COVID Jeff Carter out with, uh, with Tristan COVID. Jari and they go just, down the list. Yeah. They just keep showing up and man, like it's, it's only six games, but this has not been a six game. This has been something that happens year after year in Pittsburgh is that they find guys like hands up. Who knew who Drew O'Connor was? Here he is right near the top of the rookie scoring leader. Frank He's an undrafted guy. Well, I because I broke the signing. But, and yeah. then um, scores. Uh, it was almost a point of game player in the American League last year. 
Now he comes in and now sure he gets a lucky break uh, off the hip. Doesn't matter like this. They're getting contributions from every single line, almost every player on that team. And it's, it's remarkable to see because 14 guys, Frank in five games, like that's, that's basically saying you've got 14 players who are going to score 15 goals on your team. Like it's ridiculous. I give a lot of credit and I'd like to give a little love to Mike Sullivan. Like he's a damn good coach. And I know that um, obviously he's been picked by team USA to, to lead the Americans in Beijing. What a selection. Like this guy, he's just, he, he grinds and I think it rubs off on his team. There's no fluff to him. Um, when you have a leader like that, it kind of snaps everyone else into line. And obviously Sid does the, the on ice portion and in the, in the dressing room and, and he's still around every day and practicing and, you know, Sid's being Sid. So that work ethic rubs off on everyone. So they got the work ethic part from Sid and then the attention to detail from Sullivan, that is a winning combination. Oh, like it's really impressive for me to watch like you just because the nhl at the end of it it's so much about depth obviously you need the top end elite guys come playoff time but you need depth scores and the penguins man when they get crosby and malkin back and if those other guys you know everybody kind of funnels down to maybe where they should be and i know it's harder to to produce when you're only playing 10 minutes a night it's, it's an extremely difficult role to find guys who can do that but you know they don't Maybe they don't even have to play their fourth line. Maybe their fourth line is playing 12 minutes a night, kind of like the Islanders. Because if you look at the Islanders the last few years, Frank, they're one of the few teams where their fourth line plays 12 minutes every night. And there's just not a lot of teams that can do that. And Pittsburgh might be that team this season. But it takes finding guys when you don't have draft picks all these years because you've been in contender yes. mode like a Drew O'Connor to just even to play NHL games as an undrafted guy is a huge boon for your farm system, everything that you're building. Um, that stuff matters. Like they, there's a reason why the Penguins and, and these other teams pay attention really closely to these undrafted players because that's their bread and butter. That's, that's their gold, their asset. It's how you attract players. You know, they have the SID factor and the cups to say, Hey, you can get a chance to play with these guys. If you sign with our team and they mean it because they don't have anyone else that's coming up through the system that you get a, a, a nice crack early on. They treat you like a draft pick, whereas another organization might not. No. And I, I think they understand Frank that still like the draft is still for the most part, you know, you're drafting players on what they did in their 17 year old season. It's a crap. And then some, maybe some in their 18. Well, by the time these guys are 21 and 22, there's lots of players that have physically matured. Like Drew O'Connor's a six foot three. He probably wasn't strong enough at 18, like most guys who are six three to really if just I'm not mistaken, he around. grew six inches. Yeah. I, I like wrote Cole about Pareko. it. He, right? grew, he was like, he was five foot something and grew six inches while he was at college. Between yeah. like freshman and sophomore year, if I'm not mistaken, that's when the huge growth spurt was. And boom, all of a sudden he's a guy like, how do we miss this guy? Well, because he wasn't anything before that. Talented player, but didn't have the size. Oh, and, and that to me is the point is that there's such a change in so many players from 18 to 22. And it's why sometimes that's you what know, makes scouting hard. Oh, how totally do you project hard. five years into the future? Like, I don't have a crystal ball. But when you're consistently finding 
undrafted free agents and they play for you, Frank, to me, that shows an organization that, you know, give it to their, you know, their amateur scouts who aren't just looking at draft eligible players, but are looking at undrafted players. Because, you know, if you hit on one, you can say, okay, we got a little lucky, but when you're doing it consistently, it's not luck. Well, but it, it, there's a few things that go into it because every team in the league can only offer so much. They can only offer the max ELC yep. contract, which is 925. It's a level playing field. You don't have any advantage other than what you've been putting on the ice. And Pittsburgh, with a 15-year or 16-year playoff streak, that means something to guys. The success, the chance to be and, and rub elbows with Sid and Gino and all these guys that are in that room – that matters. So if you don't have that kind of culture, you know, not to knock a specific team, but if you're Columbus or if you're another team that is like, eh, you're not, you're not getting picked. You can go scout those guys until the cows come home. But if your team isn't any good, it's, it's a, it's not about like, you're, you're not yeah. going to get those guys. No, no, that's fair too. But there's lots of other good teams that just don't seem to do it. So I give the Penguins but, but a lot it, of credit. Uh, so the other part of that, so I, I give the Penguins credit too, but what I'm saying is it's not just about the culture. You also have to have the budget and the resources to say, you know what, let's sign this guy for 925. And if it doesn't work out, oh, well, but not every team has the financial ability to take swings like Pittsburgh yeah. does or, or like some of these other franchises. Yeah, no, that's true. Although he's still, uh, because he's on an ECL uh, entry-level contract, he's still on a two-way deal. So he's going to have to sign the, you know, kind of the minimum there of uh, he'll play 70 grand or whatever it is in the minors. So there is, you know, you can offer more in the NHL, but if he doesn't turn out to be an NHL player, well, then you just put him in the minors and you kind of move on from that. But I, you know what, the Penguins, have, I know it's very early. But early on, to me, they're probably the biggest surprise uh, positively uh, in the National Hockey League, what they're doing without uh, And it just salt in the wound for the Leafs. Like, it's not just the score, but it was all those guys being out. And, you know, as Jake Muzzin said, getting outworked. Like, you know, you can handle slumps, but you can't handle a lack of effort. Yeah. You're listening to the DFO Rundown, uh, also presented by ESPN+. Plus. Frank was talking about it, man. It's the best way to watch the games right now. It's become a must-have for hockey fans. You can get access to more than 1,000 out-of-market NHL games and 75 weekly national games all season. Plus, stream thousands of live events from the best leagues and biggest tournaments in the world, exclusive originals, the complete 30 for 30 library, premium articles, fantasy tools, and much more with ESPN+. Plus. Sign up now. Go to espnplus.com slash dfo sign up if you're a hockey fan you're gonna love it yep saw all the crew from espn out in seattle even though the game is only on espn plus the production value legit my friends kevin weeks linda Cohn, emily kaplan steve levy all there the monday night football crew stopped by the seahawks game uh the monday night game this week so uh pretty cool to see everyone out there yeah, it is great. Uh, let's welcome into the uh, WoodJersey.com studio, Tyler Ramchuk. Ty, how you doing? I'm doing great, boys. I'm doing fantastic. And I got another stirring rendition of fill in the blank for you guys, our new segment. And I got three questions locked and loaded, and I'm going to jump right into them. You've talked about some of these teams that are off to hot starts. There are four that are currently left undefeated, Florida, Edmonton, St. Louis, and Carolina. Blank will be the last undefeated team in the NHL. Gregor, you can go first. Oof. 
It's a good question. Um, Edmonton only plays one game this week. I don't know if that's a benefit yeah. or not to them. So, uh, well, until Saturday anyway. They, they're at home to Philly. That four days off. Um, I'm probably going to lead to Carolina. Um, I looked at their schedule. Their next five games, really the only big tough one is against Boston. Right. They got Chicago. They got Arizona. They got a struggling Leafs team right now. And the Canes, there's just something about them. They love, you know, showing up against teams that there's going to be big fanfare. So I, I'm going to go with Carolina. I don't know. I think Carolina might drop one to the Leafs here. I just have a feeling the Leafs are going to bounce back. It's at some point you're going to get a massive game from a Matthews or someone. Um, my team that's going to remain undefeated the longest, uh, the Florida Panthers. I think they're going to be the last team standing. They've been an absolute wagon to this point. And by the way, a little stat for you guys, no season in NHL history. You're talking hundred plus seasons has featured four teams that are five and zero: oh, the hurricanes and blues could join that group to make it four. So, uh, well, Hurricanes play Toronto and the Blues play LA to make it five. So interesting. And Florida also in the mix tonight against Arizona, but I think they play like four times this week or something crazy like yeah. that. Whereas you're right, Jason. I mean, there's only one game this week for the Oilers. So by the, if the Oilers beat Philly, those other teams would have to win. Like answer, three. Though. Yeah, it really yeah. was the easy answer. That's, that was the point. Well, I'll say this though. Maybe. Edmonton, you do wonder about, um, you know, just four days off. You're in Vegas. You know, uh, we'll see. But if they play well against Philly, then they could four run. Four days in they, Vegas is a mini bender. Yeah, they've got, uh, but they had two days to recover, man. Like, come on. Shit. I uh, I can go out and, and how and many IV bags were involved? Day, like three days later, like they should be <laughs> fine. They're going to skate off all the sweat today and tomorrow. Oh, can't even imagine what that rink smells like. Speaking of uh, speaking of the Florida Panthers, I was just doing some prep for our live show later today. They're taking on the Arizona Coyotes. They're minus four twenty on the money line. You would have to bet four hundred and twenty dollars just to win one hundred dollars on the Florida Panthers to beat the Arizona Coyotes tonight. Uh, so you're saying take Arizona? No. Do you, do you I really mean, trust? The, how how often do you have a team that Plus would have that kind? Yeah. It's, that kind it of almost, payout, yeah. yeah, it yeah. almost never happened. It's just one game. Like weird stuff in hockey happens all the time. Have you seen Arizona's roster? I, I have. I only. I can't even pronounce their goalie's <laughs> name. I don't even know who he is. I never. Would, I honestly. <laughs> I, I. I'm embarrassed to admit this. I know nothing about this guy and have never heard of him. Yeah, as well, a, a rookie out of the check, and man, I watched. Uh, I watched them play. If he's be- if he's a better option than Carter Hutton, it's going to be a really long season because there was twice that uh, he just lost his net. Frank just lost his angle uh, when guys were coming in off the wing. Uh, so it's not it's not a good season for Arizona. It's going to be a they long. Don't, season. Not, they don't want to be good. Like Ty, what's the money on Florida to win by two or three? I'd probably take that. Well, that's what I was going to say. Like Florida to win by two on the puck line is still minus one sixty, which is like it's insane. No you, yeah. You, yeah. You never you're, see you're that. You're living and dying on the the empty netter. If you want to get, <laughs> yeah, if you want to get Florida at plus money, you need to take them minus two and a half goals, and they'll be plus one twenty. So win by three. Win by at least three. Yeah, just crazy. Like that's that's it's also possible. I mean, yeah, I might take. Like, honestly, that might be the one I would take. <laughs> uh, your second question here. Uh, we talked about the undefeated teams and you guys have touched on all the uh, struggling teams right now, but the team that should be the most concerned with their start is who Frank, you're going first. Blackhawks. Um, that Seth Jones turnover, like Yikes. that was beer league on Sunday night. 
I know a lot has been made of Jeremy Colleton handing the whiteboard to the players to figure it out. I don't read into that too much. I'm interested to get Bryce Salvador's take on the daily face-off show today, but Chicago is pretty deeply concerning. And this was supposed to be an audition for Mark Andre Fleury. Hey, come, come stay here and play here. We'd love to have you. Why would he ever come back? I mean, and at what point did, did they say, get me out of here? Like it, it's, it is ugly. Oh, well, you can't, you can't trade all the players, Frank. So they're getting booed off the ice already. Um, it's early in the year and their, their inability to defend has been there for a few seasons. Now I know, you know, the players come out and say everything the players are going to say publicly. This is on us. It's not on the coach. We have faith in the coach. Players say that all the time. It's like when a GM comes out publicly and says, no, my coach is good. And then within the week, the coach gets fired. Like it happens all the time. So I don't, I don't put, I mean, I might, it might end up being me that has to replay it where we're like, Hey, remember I said, Jeremy Colleton, not on the hot seat. Like the longer it goes, like it's unavoidable. Oh, dude, like they're, they're defensive. Now, either the players don't want to play it and it's numerous different players or it's just it's not effective. And um, to me, that yeah, it's not or good. Their defense isn't any good. Yeah, well, that's fair, too. But I'll say this. Um, I'm going to go with Vegas. They should be concerned about their start because they're not going to get any immediate help back. They're going to need Marcia So and Riley and Carlson to really get going offensively or this team could find themselves too far out of it. So then they're going to have to, when Pacioretty gets back, which is what, another four weeks, I think. And Frank talked about Stone. Even if he does come back, how long can his back last? What are they going to do? If they're too deep in a hole, you can scratch and claw your way back. But then by the time you get to the playoffs, you're spent and you got nothing wanna... left. So Vegas is one where they got to hope that uh, Riley, Marcia, so and Carlson can figure it out offensively. Otherwise they're going in the wrong direction quickly. I, I want to throw a little nugget out there. And it wouldn't be any short-term help, but I there was a lot of chatter this weekend about Jack the Vegas Eichel? Golden Knights and Jack Eichel. Yes, I was gonna. I was. Mm. I, I've had many people texting the exact same thing because it's without Stone and Pacioretty, Frank. It's obvious that they don't have an elite offensive guy, right? It's but obvious. they haven't had an elite center anyway. So no. yeah, interesting. Very interesting stuff happening in fill in the blank this week. And I didn't even bring up the Jack Eichel thing. Uh, the last one I got for you guys, the big favorites to win the Calder Trophy at the start of the year, Zegers, Caulfield, Spencer Knight. The first two, Zegers and Caulfield, only have one point. Spencer Knight's only played one game. So your question is, after two weeks of the season, your Calder Trophy favorite is blank. Jason? Well, the easy answer would be Lucas Raymond. The guy's on fire. And Detroit's got seven points, just had a hattie. But... Yeah, if I probably had to go with one, I might go with, uh, you know, he's going to get, he's already on the power play. And to me, that's the key. When, you, when you're getting power play opportunities as a rookie, that's, man, that's golden. Um, I, I thought Caulfield would struggle in Montreal this season. Uh, and so I, I didn't pick him at the start. Uh, Zegers is off to a slow start, but I watched him in Edmonton, man. Like he created a lot, just didn't get any points. I think he'll come around. But um, Raymond now in Detroit, because of the opportunity he's getting, he would be a, he would be a guy I would lean on. Raymond, four-point night, the only teenagers in Red Wings history that have done that. Steve Iserman and Gordy Howe. Pretty decent company. Um, I pick Spencer Knight to win the Calder. I know he's only played one game. I believe he has a 968 save percentage. One, Whatever it is, one goal on 31 shots. 
We talked about Bobrovsky. Spencer Knight is still going to have to play 30 games. So or at least. So I, I don't know. I'm sticking with Knight for now. I think he's that good. A question for you. If he plays 30 games, let's say the numbers are good. Like, let's say he plays 30 games. He has a 9-16 save percentage and a 2.6 goals against him. be better than 9-16. Okay, but, but my the question I was getting to is 30 games enough for him to win I don't the Calder? I don't think so. Nugent Hopkins didn't win it one year when he had as many points as Landis Gog, um, but he missed 20 games and he didn't win. So I, I don't think a goal. Kale McCarr ever did didn't win last year when he he missed 12. It was a shortened season, yeah. but he was a point per game defenseman. And I think a lot of people would say Kale McCarr was, uh, this is the Norris, you yeah. know, not talking about the Calder, but missing games is a huge criteria for voters. Yes. In this case with Knight, it's not that he missed games necessarily, What's the threshold? My guess, you'd have to be closer to 40, like 36, 37 mm-hmm. to really make a difference. And that's entirely possible. Like, I didn't see this start coming for Bobrovsky, and, and he could certainly continue it. He's won two Vezinas. Like, it, it wouldn't be out of the question. I could also see any sort of slide that pops up. Knight becomes the guy, and he plays 50, and it gets flipped, and Bobrovsky plays 30. Interesting. All right, there you go. That is fill in the blank presented by DoorDash, proud sponsor of the Nation Network of Podcasts. It's Monday. The work week is starting. Don't cook dinner with DoorDash. Restaurants and more delivered right to your door. Use the promo code RUNDOWNDD and it gets first time users of the app 25% off and no delivery fees. Don't cook. I never cook. No, there you go. Uh, Frank, uh, uh, early on, a small trade, uh, Dylan Gambrell from the Sharks goes to the uh, Ottawa Senators and, you know, an opportunity for him maybe to to, to jumpstart his career. He had been uh, he'd been waived. He sent down to the American League and no one claimed him. They got a seventh rounder for him. Uh, just maybe a depth center, a fourth line guy right now for the Senators. Yeah, and look, the writing was on the wall for Gambrell, as you mentioned, going on waivers and, you know, decent little pickup to see what he can do. I'm sure the Sens would have rather just grabbed him on waivers for nothing, but what's a seventh-round pick? Um, The Sharks, like, what a story they've been. Like, I I just think it adds, um, you know, there's an interesting little, you know, you look at the team prop bets this year, and to start the year, and I think the Sharks, if I'm not mistaken, their point total was something like 81 and a half the last time I saw it. And a lot of people were saying, take the under. There's no chance this team's going to be good. They finished in the bottom three or four or five in the league the last couple seasons in a row. And I just I kind of had like a sneaky feeling about the Sharks. Not that they'd necessarily be a playoff team and be good. I think everyone almost universally, especially in our daily faceoff dot com predictions to start the year had them right in that sort of seven spot or eight spot in the division. But I, there's something about like, there was a chance that they could kind of like put it all together. And Carlson has been like Carlson of old. And that's, that's kind of alarming. I would imagine for the other teams in the division that weren't really counting on the sharks being any good. Well, it's funny right now you kind of would, a lot of people would have Vegas and San Jose swapped 
to where they thought the season would begin, right? They'd have Vegas at the top of the standings and San Jose near the bottom, and they basically just swapped roles early on. Yeah, Carlson has has he's he's not as dominant. I've watched a few Sharks games as he was because man, before his Achilles, he was one of the most electrifying players I'd ever seen out of defense. But, he he, but skate he's skating forever. He's but he's, skating he's, he's his better. skating's better. He he's healthier. It looks good. But the thing that's a few things. Number one, they're getting goaltending. Frank when Martin Jones had an eight ninety six three consecutive that's, seasons. That's so big. So getting goaltending helps. Um, you listen to Thomas Hurdle, and he said when their team's down now, like they don't have individuals. They, they still stay within the system. They kept it close. You know, they made it close in Boston in the, in the final 10 minutes of the third period the other night. Um, the Sharks are better, and it's, to Timo me, with every Meyer's passing awesome. day, it's with when you have uh, Canes eligible now in 17 games. I really think the Sharks might just have them stay home. There's no year. chance they're bringing him in. Listen to everything they're saying. Yeah. Read between the lines. That team is 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 playing partially because they're excited he's not there. Yeah, I truly believe that. Yeah, better. When people say culture doesn't matter, you can just look for that because it's funny sometimes, especially when you're losing. When you're losing, it's easy to have somebody really fracture your your room and make it much harder because everybody's frustrated to begin with. But then when you're winning, usually maybe you know what you have a malcontent. You can you can push it down and you can control it a bit. But man, winning cures a lot. And when when people are happier in a lot of different areas and they just don't feel there's a distraction or there's just just some unnecessary. Um, stress and, and and pressure around contention in the room. That's what you're seeing with the Sharks. Now, I don't, you know, I don't think the Sharks are going to win four out of every five games this season, but they are more competitive and it helps when Burns and Carlson. But on the other end of that, Frank, I do have to ask about when you look at, when I look at San Jose and you look at Vlasic, like he's playing 14 minutes a night, he's making $8 million, right? Like I wonder when I see Thomas Hurdle, who's a pending UFA, and I really like Hurdle, but foot speed for him is a little bit of a concern. When you see Vlasic and he's down to 14, 15 minutes a night making eight mil, what do you think San Jose does with Hurdle? Like, would re-signing Hurdle be the right move for that organization in the direction they're going? I personally don't think so, just because I think it's the same thing that we talked about a few weeks ago with guys like Rust and Dumoulin that are eventually going to need new deals for the Penguins. At some point, because of a contract like Vlasic, because of the contracts to Carlson and to Burns, you're going to have to rip the Band-Aid off. I mean, Couture is already 32. Like This team had success for a long, long time, and they were able to bridge the gap from the Thornton and Marlowe era, which had all these playoff runs, and never got over the hump to kind of this uh, Carlson, Vlasic, Couture group. And they did it fine for a couple years and, and made it to that final and then sort of got a little bit ahead of themselves. And now they're going to need to rip that Band-Aid off. They don't have a ton coming in their system. It, they're going to have lean years this year, notwithstanding, potentially. Yeah. So no. they're they're going to have to do that at a certain point and then you look at at Hurdle already 28 he's going to want term like does it really make sense to sign him through age 35? I, to me I I just don't see it making sense. And if you look at his career he's basically been a 45 ish point player 50 points 
in that neighborhood last year, a better year in the shortened year. He had one year at 74, but a bunch of years in the forties. Is he a driver? No. Then you answered the question. Yeah. Like he, I will say this. I think Thomas Shirtle on a playoff team helps a lot. Like if, if he fills up, he can play your second or third line center spot. He Boom. wins face-offs. There's a lot of but teams that's, that would that's be That's the key is you need him on your second or third line. He can't be dry, expected to drive your team, which yeah. if you're signing him to that kind of deal, you're probably going to need him to be. Yeah, so it's a they're an interesting team to me to watch, but they are they are much more competitive and uh, they just look like a happier team right now uh, early on in the season. I don't think there's any question about that. So Frank, I'll ask you about by this time next Monday is Jeremy Carlton still the head coach of the Chicago Blackhawks? I'm gonna say yes. I, I just I know that there's a chance that you know when you look at the way that this has unfolded, um, it's ugly. The fire Colleton chance, they their sellout streak was broken. They issued a statement. Bad for business, like it just is. Um, I know there's a lot of pressure, but I think there's a lot of support, and I actually think the players really like him. And I don't think that what you're hearing and reading from the players is lip service. Like I actually truly believe that they do like him. So I, I, I'm going to say yes. Okay, because their next their next three games before next Monday are all at home. They play Toronto, they play Carolina and St. Louis, two undefeated teams. Man, like it's it's not an easy week because you mentioned it earlier that Toronto, like what if you know if Toronto doesn't beat Carolina in their first game, you know they're going to go to Chicago even more upset. But if they beat Carolina, then they got some swagger going in there. So it's it's a tough home week for the Blackhawks, uh, you know, especially with Carolina and St. Louis. Those two, like we didn't even talk about the Blues very much, Frank. But my goodness, like they they're they they look really good early on. Yeah, like, I know it's early, but Love man, the like, Jake neighbor story too. Pretty yeah, like they player. look really good. Like and David Perron, like that guy's just drinking from the fountain of youth, man. He's getting better as he gets older. Getting a little love from Wayne Gretzky on TNT. Predicted him to win. He was he called him the unsung hero the other night. Yeah, no, he's he's been really good for the Blues. So they, you know what, they're they're mobile back end uh, early on this season. Uh, they've had a great start, and you know Craig Berube. Uh, some people had him as maybe one of the early coaches. Well, early on, uh, he's put that to rest. So that was me. Oh, you had him. I, I in my thirty-two bold predictions, I had him as the first coach fired. So oh, okay, well. That's, I'm, uh, yeah. I'm not going to live that one down. Yeah. yeah, I would never want anybody to get fired, but um, you know, my early prediction right now is still on par. We'll see. The Blackhawks got to turn it around. They're going to have to make a change, whether it's the right one or not. Usually, it's the coach who takes the dagger if the struggles last much longer. So. Frank, we, we got a few uh, Hall of Famers that we should have set up here in the coming week. So the Friday pod could be a, a Hall of Fame edition on uh, Friday. Have yourself uh, an awesome week, and uh, we will talk to you for uh, Friday's uh, episode of the DFO Rundown. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Saravali and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Delivered by DoorDash.